Well, grab a seat and we will look at the first 21 verses of Exodus 15. Now, as we are working our way through the book of Exodus, um, we here and have just seen them cross the Red Sea. They've looked back and they've seen Pharaoh and all his army dead uh, in, in the Red Sea and on the shoreline. And so they really have seen deliverance, the destruction of their enemy. They're out of slavery, out of bondage. They're clean on the other side uh, of the Red Sea from Egypt now. And Moses starts singing. And also the children of Israel started singing. And they sang this song to the Lord. Make note, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E, Yahweh. And spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord once again, for he has triumphed joy gloriously. The horse and rider has thrown into the sea. And so we're going to see in verse 20 and 21 that Miriam gets all the gals and they begin to sing that. And so some actually uh, attribute this little tiny chorus to Miriam writing it rather than Moses, because we do know in just a moment, it very clearly says uh, that Moses begins to establish a song of Moses. But again, it's important that we take note that they sang it to the Lord. This is important. Because I, I really think often, like Jesus said, remember the Pharisee was praying, Lord, thank you, I'm not like that cat collector over there. And it says, Jesus said, thus the Pharisee prayed to himself. I, I wonder sometimes if we are so enamored at the sound we're making, whether it's with the big choir singing or the guitars, the, you know, the the melodies and, the, and everything and the electronics that we have, if, if we're singing for ourselves and we're singing to uh, please each other, and somehow in the midst of that, it's like, oh yeah, we, 1% of that, we're, we're singing to you too, Lord. You enjoy it. We're really enjoying it. And you can enjoy it if you want. You know, be a spectator and, and hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as, as we are. And I can tell you, I have seen worship leaders, and they are worshiping to the Lord, and it is contagious. Have you ever had that? You have a worship leader worshiping God. I think Christian is very much like that, who, who led worship. But it causes everybody to go to his throne room and to worship him. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I see little... You know, kindergarten kids, not one of them singing in tune, but they're just singing so preciously to the Lord. They really are. And I think we have to stop from time to time and, and say, okay, it's not about me. It is about the Lord. I, I think there's a few things of understanding worship. I think this is it. The first time in all the Bible. There's a song of worship. This is it. So we're looking at the very first worship song 
recorded in Scripture. Now, you know, I think there are probably other worse songs sung along the way somewhere. We're going to see more than this one, even in the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses is going to, he's quite, quite the worship leader himself. Uh, along the way, we're going to see. But the very first song is a song of worship. And, and Moses was singing this 80-year-old guy. And the children of Israel, it seems they all got caught up in it as Moses sang to the Lord. Then the children of Israel started singing the Lord. We're going to see after the end of this that Miriam grabs the gals and they start dancing and singing. Uh, as hear all the women singing without the men. It's just a, it's a very powerful worship time here. But I, I think the first thing that when it comes to worship, and, and really that comes to going to church and reading the Bible and even sharing the Lord, all Christian duties, is we really got to forget about ourselves. Well, how do I feel about myself when I evangelize? <laughs> do I feel good about myself afterwards? Did I feel good about that? Oh, I was going to go to church, but I just didn't feel it <laughs> this Sunday. You know that that one story about the, the guy who woke up on Sunday morning and said, I, I just do not feel like going to church today. And his wife said, you got to go to church. He goes, give me one good reason. She says, well, I'll give you several. Number one, it's the first of the week and we need to honor God with the first, the best. Secondly, we're not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. We are to gather. God has commanded that we do it. And third, you're the pastor and you're preaching. How many of you guys saw that one coming? Yeah, you guys, you guys have been, been going to church too long, so have I. Okay, got to get some new dogs to teach new tricks, not the old dogs. But anyway, we need to forget about ourselves. I love that Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2. Given to the Lord, O you mighty ones, given to the Lord, glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. So he's telling all these mighty men, these warriors, you guys lift up your hands, clap your hands, be like, can be converted and become as a child <laughs> and honor the Lord. Not your muscles, not your mighty sword ability or your Mighty warrior ability. You, you give to the Lord that which is due unto him. Secondly, I think in worship, we've got to focus all on Jesus and worshiping him purely. Remember that song we used to sing, Forget About Ourselves and Worship Him? Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship Him. Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship Him. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ our Lord says like, what, three or four times in there, forget about yourself. And it usually takes about the third time hearing that song to forget about myself. And it's like, oh yeah, we're worshiping the Lord. Forget about you, Brian. It doesn't matter if you're feeling good. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter whether it's the songs the worship leaders playing appeals to you or not. 
forget about yourself and, and just worship the Lord. The third thing I think in worshiping him is as he has designed it. You know, I, I think when Jesus was on earth, I really don't think outside of him and his apostles singing a few hymns that there really was any worship going on in the temple with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the Sanhedrin, with the priests, with the people anywhere that was really pleasing to the Lord. We see in John 4, Jesus says in verse 23 and 24 to, interesting, a pagan Samaritan woman who had been married five times before and now she, man, she's living with this, not her husband. He, he explains to her about what true worship is. Really, it's for all of us. He says to that woman at the well in verse 23 of John 4, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We're spiritual beings. We're soulish beings. I think soulish, we can often fill the souls of other people around us. Somebody says, oh, I'm doing great. But yet you sense sorrow. You, or you sense anger when they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not upset. <laughs> it's like, why is my soul connecting with your soul and feeling the opposite of what you're saying? But I also think spiritually. I'll tell you, I, I've been to many countries where they didn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of their language. And I'm telling you, we, I, I literally feel like I've known this person my whole life and will know them through eternity. There's such a love in the spirit. And so there is that spiritual aspect. I, I grew up in a church that, boy, you lifted your hands, you, you, they'd tell you not to do that because that's being emotional and we're not Pentecostals and, you know, that's not right, you know. You, you, you know it, and you were there very reserved, you know. Of course, you, you know, wore suits and ties and, and, and you were very reserved. And I can just remember reading through the Psalms and just seeing, like, man, the last thing David is is reserved. <laughs> He's dancing and shouting and singing and there's, there's a spirit with it. And I think that's it, is that really to connect spirit with the spirit of God who lives in us, to have that spiritual communion, we've got to forget about ourselves. We've got to look to him and, and worship him, see him seated upon the throne. And it's in that place of worship where we forgot about ourselves, we're purely looking to him, and we are worshiping him in the way that he has chosen. Not the way that we've chosen, the way he has chosen. And I think there's that spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection that's essential. And I, and I see that, to be honest with you. I, I see it when I'm preaching on Sundays. I can see people that they come in as that, that heart of a child, and they're just a sponge and Every little phrase and every little song saying, every little prayer prayed, everything is, they're just absorbing it and they're just growing, being strengthened in the inner man. And I, and I see other sometimes old, crusty Christians, lethargic Christians, and, and they're there and trying not to be critical, but they're more critical about everything than, than oh, well, you know, I've been to other churches, they've done that better, and I've heard that sermon, same sermon, but done a lot better, or whatever it is, it's sort of a, 
It's not really that teachable, worshipful spirit. And we got to keep listening to the, the Bible where it says, humble yourself. Did you ever notice that? When the Bible says, I'm going to humble you, it's always something bad. I mean, the Lord plainly says, don't make me humble you. You won't like it. I'm going to give you the opportunity. You humble yourself. And so again here, there's just that spirit. And this, I love that in, in, in John 424 when it says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I love Hebrews 12, 28. In the NIV, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe. I love that. Gosh, we're, we're eternal beings right now, right? We are going to be with the Lord like we are now with the Lord for all of eternity. But far superior in our brand new bodies in heaven. No devil around. No spirit of the world. Uh, a rebellious spirit of the world that's against the Lord. Hebrews thirteen fifteen, Through him, then let us continually offer a what? sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name and so again I, I see people saying oh I don't want to sing I don't like to sing I'm you know I, I remember as a kid you know you get to that age and all the little kids are clapping their hands and you're you know a tough nine-year-old and I don't clap you know clap my hands anymore I sit on the back row and make fun of all the five-year-olds that are clapping their hands you know and I can remember going through that very prideful thing and, and the Lord having to work on me through junior high and high school and, and getting that pride out of my heart as a child. And so again here, it's not do I feel like it, do I like it, do I want it, is it feeling meaningful to me? It's a sacrifice of praise, the praise of our lips to God. Psalm 63, 4, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will notice... Lift up my hands to your name. Psalms 47, 1, I'll clap my hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Psalm 98, 4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. It says in the old King James. I like the old King James. It's the one that uses noise. Because the fact is, a lot of people don't sing in tune. It's okay. You still are supposed to sing. Well, I can't sing in tune. I know, make a noise. Psalms 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So we see the body is, is very much involved. We're singing, we're shouting, we're clapping, we're lifting, we're kneeling, we're bowing. There, there is a full sacrifice of worship unto God. Well, let's look at this song. It's interesting. Again, I say it's the first song mentioned in the Bible. But before we look at this first song in the Bible, I should make note the last song in the Bible is also a song of Moses. Isn't that interesting? It's nowhere mentioned in the Old Testament, but evidently God kept record of it. Maybe just Moses sang it to the Lord. I don't know. But in Revelation 15, maybe Moses wrote it in heaven. I don't know. 
But in Revelation 15, verse 3 and 4, they, they sing the song of Moses and the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, Jesus, right? Saying, great and marvelous are your works, Jesus. Lord, referring again to Jesus, God Almighty, just and true are your ways, talking, singing to Jesus, Jesus the Lamb. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. Jesus, O King of all the saints, who shall not fear you, Jesus? O Lord Jesus, glorify your name, Jesus. For you, Jesus, alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you, Jesus. For your, your Jesus, judgments are have been manifest. It's amazing the insight here. Notice, and this is where true worship comes, where you are literally singing to the Lord. So I think it's okay to, the Bible actually says at times to sing to one another. Hey, come, let us go up into the house of the Lord and let us go and worship him there. Let's, let's go with the heart of thanksgiving. There, there's a time to sing to one another. Then there's time to sing truths. I think those hymns are. They're singing doctrines and truths and we're putting a sermon, if you would, to song to, to repeat um, the truth, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. It, it goes into our soul and our spirit. But when we come to that place of, of worship, pure worship, we are just singing directly to him, the Lamb, Almighty God, our Savior. The very end of that Revelation 15, the very end of verse 4, it has a thing and it says this, for your, Jesus, judgments have been manifest. Now, if you read Revelation, you see that the judgment uh, of the righteous, but also the judgment of the wicked is coming. And why is that so important to us tonight? Because this is exactly what we're going to see in this first song of Moses as well. Remember in John chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, Jesus, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also they said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but as he sees the Father do it, whatever he, the Father, does, the Son does in the like manner. Like what? Well, verse 1. Verse 21, John 5, 21, the father raises the dead, and guess what the son can do? Raise the dead also. Give life also. John 5, 22, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. This is what that end of verse 4 is saying of Revelation 15. Jesus, your judgments are going to be manifest. In John 5.23, why does the Father give all the judgment to the Son? That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And of course, we know Philippians 2, actually verse 9 through 11, but you know that passage, therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth, 
to the glory of God the Father. It's the Lord God the Father. So stop here just a moment. We, we look to Jesus. We look to finally his judgment, his justice is going to come for the first time on planet Earth in, in complete totality. It's going to be manifest. And knowing this is the truth, that the Father now has lifted up Jesus, the one who died and rose again and is alone going to judge, give him the same glory, the same honor as you would into the first person of the Trinity, the Father. So realizing that we are now looking into Jesus, the name above all names, what should be our response? Notice the very next verse in, in Philippians 2, verse 12, 13. Therefore, since Jesus' name is lifted up above every name, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, but in the midst of having salvation, live in this awe and respectful way unto God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as we look at this psalm, or we look at this first song of Moses, we're going to see this same exact thing. It's really not talking as much about Pharaoh and the destruction of the Red Sea as the whole thing is a prophecy of Jesus. And he is judging because he is the judge ultimately of all things. And what should be your response to this? That now you obey the Lord. You have no other gods before you. That you walk in a way respectful, understanding God's at work in you, both the will and to do. So as we begin now in, in, in Exodus 15, 22, let's keep in mind as we look at this first song of Moses, that we are seeing what really it's all about Jesus and it's a prophecy of the deeds he will do in the last days. Well, in Exodus 15, 2, there's getting off track a little bit. We're back on track. The Lord, again, capital L, capital O, capital R or D, the Tetragrammaton. This is the name Yah or Yahweh. Or we're gonna go on to see he is my strength and song. He, Jesus, has become my what? salvation. That's Shua. If you put Yah and Shua together, you got Joshua, or in the Greek, Jesus. Yahshua, Joshua in the English, Jesus in the Greek. Since we received the Bible in the Greek language originally, we stay with the Greek enunciation. And so he has become the salvation. He, Jesus, is my God, and I will praise him, Jesus. My Father is God, and I will exalt him, Jesus. Do you realize when we go through this, you're going to see this repeatedly, that Moses is constantly saying, you, God, him. It's just a pure worship. You are the God of my fathers. I will exalt him, I will exalt you. Jesus is literally God, Yahweh, my salvation. You, I'm crying out to Jesus. Whether they realized it or not in this song, that's what they were doing. Jesus is my strength in song. Jesus has become my salvation. Jesus is God. I will praise Jesus. Jesus is the God of my fathers. I will exalt Jesus. 
Yahshua, Lord, Yahweh. So many times in this song, that holy name of God, capital L, capital O, capital R-D, Yahweh, which I believe it's pointing to Jesus, is going to be all the way through this. And so I sort of marked up the whole passage to emulate this and to make it clear. So looking at verse 3, the Lord, Jesus, is a man of war. What do we see at the very end of Revelation? (laughs) That exact thing. We're going to look at that in a second. The Lord, again, Jesus, is his name. Yahweh, Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. The Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he, Jesus, has cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sink into the bottom like a stone. But your Jesus' right hand, O Lord Jesus, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord Jesus, has dashed the enemy to pieces. And in the greatness of your, referring to Jesus again, excellence, you, Jesus, have overthrown those who rose against you. We're going to see that again in Revelation in a minute. You, Jesus, you, Do you see this, how he's worshiping to him? You, Jesus, sent forth your Jesus' wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The foods, the, the flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed into the heart of the sea. The enemy said, the enemy I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. But you, Jesus, blew your wind and the sea covered them and sank them like the mighty, into the mighty waters. Who is like you, you, Jesus, O oh Lord? Yahweh, Jesus, among the gods, who is like you. Once again, Jesus, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders. You, Jesus, stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You, Jesus, in your, in your Jesus' mercies, or that Hebrew word, hesed, is also loving kindness or steadfast love, eternal love. You, in your Loving kindness, that steadfast love have led forth. You're, you're leading us in a steadfast love. The people whom you, Jesus, have redeemed. That word redeemed there is the word goel. We're going to look at it when we get to the book of Ruth. But the goel is the kinsman redeemer. The closest relative can possess the land that's given to one of his closest relatives. And in the case of Ruth, uh, Boaz had to marry Ruth to get the land. And Jesus is our Goel, our Redeemer. You, Jesus, have guided them in your, Jesus' strength, in your strength. To you, Jesus, your holy habitation The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of the Philistia or the Philistines. The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will 
take hold of them and all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. When is that going to happen? When Israel comes, but also in the very end of the book of Revelation. Fear, in verse 16, fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your Jesus' arm. They will be as still as a stone till your Jesus' people pass over. Oh, Lord Jesus, till the people pass over. Not to, not, I don't think he's referring to the Red Sea here. Do you? Till your people pass over into our new bodies into heaven, whom you, Jesus, have purchased. Now, in the Hebrew, this is a different word. It, often it can be translated redeemed, but this is actually to buy. It's the Hebrew word Ghana, to buy or to own. You have purchased us. You paid for our sins, and you own us. We are yours. We're your possession. We're your treasure that you found in the field. We are your pearl of great price. You, Jesus, will bring them in and plant them in the mountains of your, Jesus's inheritance. In the place, O Lord Jesus, which you, Jesus, have made for your, Jesus' own dwelling. Remember the Gospel of John 14? I go to prepare a place for you, right? If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go, I'll come back. And then he says there, for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord Jesus, which your hands have established. He's made it. I'm going to go and prepare a place. I'm going to go establish you in the heavenly sanctuary, which my hands have made for you, the bride of Christ. And in verse 18, the Lord Jesus shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord, again referring to Jesus, brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So we can see how many times you, your, your hand by you, and referring to the Yahweh symbol, I think is referring to Christ. So we go back and look first at at verse 3 there, where it says, the Lord, Jesus, is a man of war. So as we read this passage, we realize that Moses was prophesying, whether he understood it or not, to the very end of times. He was prophesying Jesus at the end of the tribulation period and then later at the end of the millennial period when everything will melt with a fervent heat. And we see this prophecy and and maybe when Moses got to heaven and he understood fully what he says here, then he sings a new song with the full revelation in in Revelation 15. I, I don't know. But we know that final battle, right? Jesus, our warrior, in Revelation 16, 14, for they are the spirits of demon performing signs which go out to the kings of all the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Verse 16, and they gather them together in the place called in Hebrew, what? Armageddon, which is the Megiddo Valley. And skipping over to chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, now I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he what? Judges 
and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire and his head were many crowns. And he had the name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with the robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies, that is the, the host, us believers who are coming with him and from heaven are clothed in linen, white and clean and followed him on white horses. That's us. Now out of the mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. That's through the, the millennial, thousand-year millennial reign. Psalms 2 refers to that. He himself treads down the winepress of the fierceness of what? The wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And going back to that psalm of, the song of Moses in, in verse 7 again, in Exodus 15, 7, but you have overthrown those who rose up against you. You have sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. Going on in Revelation 19, verse 19 to 21. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to what? Make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of the burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from his mouth, the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Wow. So Moses, when he was looking at this picture, this type of God as the warrior slaying all the Egyptians in just one swell, one poof, <laughs> one blowing of the wind, one motion with his right hand, one motion with his arm, he says. And in one instance, they fell like a stone to the bottom and not one of them survived. We're going to see Jesus coming into that Megiddo Valley like he did, like he came into the middle of the Red Sea. And there's going to be, instead of a, a wall of water, there's going to be the mountains on each side. And there all the armies of the world are coming to war against the Antichrist originally. And the Antichrist is there and the false prophet and they're all making war. They begin to fight one another and as they're fighting against him, Jesus lands with us on the Mount of Olives. We stay at the Mount of Olives. He rides on over uh, several miles to the Megiddo Valley and there he is able to chain up the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet in one fell swoop. And then they all turn now to fight against Jesus. And there from the sword of his mouth in one fell swoop, and we know other descriptions of this from the major prophets where the, the blood will rise up to the bridle of the horse and it will be quite the scene. And of course, it's a prophecy of all these things, this song of Moses being sung to the Lord. Just try to picture that just a moment. For God, through the past, present, and future are all equal to him. 
And there he is, just beginning the nation of Israel, just beginning to reveal himself. In these next several years, he's going to show them stuff that it's going to just rocket them ahead, understanding his nature and his knowledge and his heart and his ways. And he's like, you guys have no idea where this is going to end. But yet I'm going to put it in a prophecy mixed with a picture, a very similar picture, but it's not the picture of the Egyptians, it's the picture of all nations at the end. And not just a Pharaoh, but a demonically possessed Pharaoh, the Antichrist. In that last day when I bring judgment, and what are all the saints of the earth doing? Going, finally, finally justice, finally judgment, finally the wrath of God is coming upon all of these wickedness that's been upon the earth. Then finally tonight, verse 20 and 21, we now see Miriam joining in, and she is a what? Prophetess. Oh, hold it. Moses was a prophet. Yes, yeah, so was his sister. We often don't consider that. This is the sister of Aaron. They took the trimble in her hand, and all the women went out after her with trimbles and with dances. And Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord. That sounds like they were going back and forth maybe on this. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed joyously, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider cast into the sea, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. You got to remember, she was what, 12, 13 years old when Moses was born, and she hit him in the the Reeves. So she's in her 90s. She may be 100 years old now. We often don't picture that. <laughs> she's got the tambourine and she's 90, 100 years old out there dancing with the ladies. And you got to remember, there's at least a million ladies. So we're not looking at like some room of 400 people. We're talking millions of people over miles what a thunder that would have been. Imagine 100,000 tambourines and timbles. Imagine millions of women dancing and all over the place. Imagine from God's point of view as he's watching this amazing worship service where they're all truly thankful and singing to him and praising him. It's just a moment in time that had to bring great joy and pleasure to the Lord. It was just a pure worship of trust and faith and thankfulness in him. Of course, all the commentators point out, if they really had faith, they would have been thanking the Lord and sinking and dancing on the other side of the Red Sea. Isn't that true? I mean, real faith is where you start praising the Lord before he delivers you, as if he already has delivered you. Isn't that the way the men of faith throughout history have lived? In that great hall of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, what's it say? Now faith is the substance of things, what? Hope for, and the evidence of things seen? Not seen. And notice the heart of these people in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, what? Not having received the promises, 
But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What did they do? They praised the Lord on this side of the Red Sea, so to speak. (laughs) This is why we say we're saved. Have you ever looked in the mirror and go, that guy in the mirror is not saved? Because we're really not. When we talk about saved, we're talking about being perfect in our brand new bodies in heaven. That's the salvation he given us. We don't perish, but we have eternal life. To be absent of the bodies, to be present, Lord. Salvation is when we're in our brand new body. But we don't say we're in the process of being saved. We say by faith, we rejoice now that those things that are hoped for, even though they're not seen, they are 100% going to happen, right? That is true faith. Faith is thanking God now for the victory that doesn't look like we're going to have it. (laughs) And by faith, what's it say in Hebrews 34, by faith they were saved from the sword. Then Hebrews 13, 37 says, by faith they died by the sword. It can look either way on this earth. You know, it looks like Daniel who gets saved in the lion's den and gets taken out, or it looks like the thousands of Christians got ate alive by lions in the gladiators arena. So it can look differently on this earth, but either way, we now rejoice and we say, thank you that we are saved. Thank you that we are redeemed. What's it say in Ephesians 2? We are already seated together with him in heavenly places. He already sees it. So we rejoice now. Thank you, Lord, for our new bodies. Can we thank God now for our new bodies? Absolutely. Can we thank God for heaven? Can we thank him now for the place he's prepared for us? Can we thank him for the judgment he's going to bring to this wicked planet? We really can. Because it is going to happen. And this is what we see in the true worship of Moses' song. They didn't do it on the other side of the Red Sea, but they are now doing it on that side of the history of Israel. And the other side of the Red Sea is Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation, that it becomes fulfilled. So as we finish here tonight, let, let, let's remember that. And not that really just come down to Philippians 4, 6? Be anxious for nothing. Here comes Pharaoh and his armies. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. I don't know how you're going to do it, but thank you, Lord. Maybe they'll kill us all and we'll go to heaven. Maybe, or maybe God will open that Red Sea, or maybe he'll bring eagles down and swoop us up, or maybe he'll, an infinite amount of ways. God doesn't have to repeat himself. You ever been to an airport and sat there and looked at people for eight hours straight, and you're going, God, you don't have to repeat yourself. You're amazing. Texture of hair, type of hair, ears, nose, heights, types of lips and eyes, and God's God's amazing. Of course, we know scientifically now that all our DNA is completely unusual, except for those few exceptions of identical twins. But be anxious for nothing in Philippians 4, 6, but everything in prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let requests be made to God. So let's praise him in advance for all that he is going to do. Amen.